mean in a bad way. That, that can sound bad, can it? No, she is just very, she is in there. She goes down front and prays for people. She gets prayer for people. She talks and finds out new things. So God bless her, and we're glad to have you, Natalie. So um, let me pray as we get started. Father, we thank you for this morning. We praise you uh, for your presence here. And as Natalie pointed out earlier, we, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come right now to fill us fresh, to fill us new. I, my prayer is that we would be convicted where we need to be convicted. Convicted maybe that we're not really grasping hold of what you want or what you have for us. And we ask that you would break and just sort of let the dam break. <laughs> let the flood of your spirit just come into our life. Let, let the, just let us be swimming. I think of that Ezekiel passage as a person is called in ankle deep into the river, then knee deep, then waist deep, and then they're swimming over their head. And I pray that that would be us today and into the future that we would just be swimming in the living word, just swimming in your spirit. That you would take us to new heights that we've never expected before. That, that the mundane would go away. That the, that the excitement and the joy of our faith would be restored to us in a way that we did not think was possible. We ask for all that. We could be so bold as your children sitting on your lap to ask for that. More of you, Father God. We thank you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So um, we are doing uh, three four-week series uh, surrounding or connected to the worship uh, word witness prayer request that we've had in the newsletter. If you haven't if you haven't read the newsletter, it comes out every week. <laughs> um, and we, we, uh, we have gone through worship, and now we're in the second week of the second series about word and learning to dwell or abide in God's word. Um, Jonathan Edwards, old pastor guy, once said, God created man for nothing else but happiness. Think about that. God created mankind, humankind, for nothing else but happiness. What did he mean by that, right? That's a good question, if you think about it. Now, I don't think that Jonathan Edwards was speaking of necessarily um, uh, carnal delights, you know, so, so to speak, you know, sensual pleasure and all that kind of stuff. I think Jonathan Edwards was speaking of the, the delight of being rooted in the assurance of God's care and God's love. Where is our joy? Right? Being rooted in the assurance of God's care and God's love. I met a guy this week. I had a flat tire. My wife picked me up from the airport and Natalie and I from the airport and my tire went flat. Next morning, I figured I would just, I have a compressor, I figured I'd pump it up, and I went to do it, and it just was going in, in, in the tire and out, so I had a big hole in it, so I had to take it and get it fixed, so I took my car over to, uh, the, the guy owns two places, this one right over here in Bryn Mawr, Tire and Auto Center, right on the right over here, and then up in Wynwood, right past Ardmore on the right, and I noticed as I was there that he has Isaiah 41, 13 on his sign, fear not for I'm with you, 
And I was like, oh, that's cool. So I started talking to him. And dude, this guy was just, he was in delight of his, of his place with Jesus. For 50, he goes, he's like, 50 years old. It took me 50 years to become a Christian. I thought of Chuck, because Chuck, <laughs> Chuck's the same way. He's like, 50 years it took me. He goes, I was doing all this other stuff, and I had two marriages, and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. He goes, here I am with Jesus now. Just oozing delight in Christ. Just oozing. It was encouraging. And that, I think, was the spirit of the Nazareth conference this past week yes it was a really good time it was sort of an authentic acknowledgement of the stresses of ministry the first guy that got up was the guy that pastors the church that we met at it was a it's a 2,000 seat auditorium if you ever if you've ever worshiped with 2,000 people that are into worship oh my goodness it's just incredible I I was going to take I was going to put some pictures up but I'll put them up on Facebook you can look at them later just everybody like everybody in the room Everybody was just singing, belting it out. It was really good. And the, so, so the first guy that got up in, from this church, he said, first thing he said, and everybody just laughed because we're all feeling it. He goes, okay. He goes, we're all wondering where everybody is. You know, who's not coming to our church anymore? Who's coming? Who are these new people? What happened, you know, after COVID and all this stuff? Because that's what all churches are feeling, Right? So it was this, this desire, the whole conference was sort of a desire to push forward past all this stuff, all of our struggles, in the work of God, in the work of the King, participating further with the Lord and what he has for us in joy, in joy of our salvation and in joy of what we have in Christ. Uh, it is easy, I feel like this sermon's a little bit scatterbrained because I was at the conference all week, so give me a break, you know. But uh, it's, it's easy to make this spiritual life all about the intellect. To hide behind our doctrine and our theology. To be just right all the time. But that's not really our full desire. Is that we do want good doctrine and good theology. If you know me, you know I believe that. But it has to be coupled with this active leading of the Holy Spirit in life. Not only to talk kingdom but actually to do kingdom among us, right? We're in Psalms 1 today. Psalms 1.6 says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 1 is often uh, viewed as a wisdom psalm Dividing life into two choices, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. The way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. So for the psalmist, the matter is simple. Walk with God or don't walk with God, but understand the consequences of your choices, right? Now you've heard it said that people are complicated. I've said it, you've said it. We all, we've all said that statement. People are complicated. True, they are a mixed bag of sort of multiple traumatic experiences, experiences, desires, education, opportunities, successes, influences, failures, dreams, you know, all that stuff. You know, as a result, we often look at somebody and we see all the craziness of their life. Not everybody, but sometimes you run across somebody like that. And, and, and we see all the craziness of that and we think they're too complicated of a knot to pick apart. 
It would take me a lifetime to help this person walk through all their issues. We are overwhelmed by, by people sometimes. I feel that as a pastor quite often. And so what do we do? We send them to the doctor, don't we? We treat all of our neuroses, and I'm not against going to the doctor, by the way. I'm not against medication for certain things or going to counseling. I'm not. I'm not saying that. So don't write me an email later. But but we do treat all of our neuroses with psychology and pharmacology, don't we? But true transformation and true healing sort of eludes us, doesn't it? And depression and anxiety and things of that sort are sort of best kept at bay, and that's about it. (laughs) It's a perpetual hamster wheel of trauma and talk, trauma and talk, trauma and talk. Simple endurance, living with a limp. And there's something subtly sort of deceptive in that outlook. Something sort of humanistic in that outlook. It's not divine. It's horizontally focused. And maybe we have to look up to what Jesus can do in somebody's life. And I saw a lot of that this week. Because the choice to be healed emotionally, physically, in many ways, and find life and find joy and all that kind of stuff, although not always easy to do, is simple to do. Because God does heal trauma in a moment. He really does. One ounce of forgiveness unleashes a new life in you. If we're open to receiving it, right? That's the question. Are we open to receiving it? It begins with saying yes to Jesus. It begins with contemplating him, with meditating on him, with receiving from him. It means intentionally surrendering ourselves to him, not just once at the moment of salvation, but every single moment of our lives. And that's the rhythm of life that we talked about a couple weeks back, fostering habits of spiritual formation and connection with the Holy Spirit and connection with each other as we walk this out together. Do you ever get confused about what people mean when they say the law of God? Ever think about that? I always think about that. Do they mean the Pentateuch? The Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament? Do they mean, you know, the Decalogue, just the Ten Commandments? Do they mean the Old and New Testament, or or just the Old Testament, or just the New Testament? What do they mean? And the answer is yes, all of the above. The law can be sort of a catch-all sort of phrase for you know, the, the Word of God, the Scriptures as a whole, it, but it also is a specific term for certain parts of the Scriptures as well. It's the teaching of God, right? And we contemplate or we meditate on His words, the words of the Bible, the law of God, which is, by the way, the person of God. Is Jesus the living word of God? They are his words. His words are him. They are inseparable. He is truth. He is truth. He pointed himself to the scriptures and he upheld them as authoritative truth. They are that important. It's been said that the Psalms are a meditation on the Torah, the law of God. 
a source book for communal and personal connection with the Lord. Psalms isn't sort of the Torah itself, but it is a reflection of its ideas and its ethics and its history and its faith. It is God-breathed Word taking us deeper into who God is, who Jesus is. The collections of Psalms begins in these first three verses of that chapter, Psalm 1, it sets the tone for the whole book. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of, that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Can't you see a bunch of guys sitting at the city gate together like blah, 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 you know, laughing at people and stuff as they go to the synagogue? Couldn't you see that? I could see that. But Verse 2, But whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And don't think, don't think that's all about money. It's all about character and development and life and wholeness. Think about these bolded verbs in that I hope they're bolded. I think I remember to do that. Three are active, right? You, you choose to do them. You, you walk, you sit, you stand. You choose to do those things, right? Of your own volition. And the others are sort of passive, right? You're, you are planted. Somebody has to plant you, right? And as a result of being planted, you automatically yield fruit. If you're planted in the right place, in a good place, you yield fruit and you prosper and you flower, right? You're planted well near streams of water with deep roots going down into good soil and you yield fruit and you remain vibrant and you may remain prosperous. Plant submitting to planter. And that's the image. The Christian life. Submission to a good, a good God doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. Bringing good things into our life and nourishing us all along the way. The gospel is not just relevant, as I said earlier, for the moment of salvation, the point of salvation for us. We don't just get saved and it's fire insurance until we die. We have a daily need of God's grace in our life, don't we? Of walking this out. Christ's blood, which cleanses at that moment of salvation, is the same blood which cleanses us from all unrighteousness as we walk out life in daily uh, faith in the process of sanctification, in the process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Francis Schaeffer referred to God's grace as this present value of the blood of Christ. I love that phrase. This present value of the blood of Christ. We are dependent on it, both as the door into the Christian life, but also as the door to which, or the, the floor to which we build our Christian life. Like the words of the old hymn, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I preached that sermon a couple weeks ago, remember, or maybe last week, I forget. What can make me whole again? Not just saved, but whole. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's a good one. 
right? One of the better ones. You know, we tend to think in extremes when we listen to those first three statements in Psalm 1 as if those wicked, sinning sort of mockers are out there like raping, pillaging, killing, and laughing all the while they do it, (laughs) right? But really, it is simply a descriptive uh, passage about the person who simply chooses to live life without God. They could be a really nice person, as a matter of fact. Every once in a while, this stuff might come out of them, you know, a little bit here and there. But it's the hopeless skeptic, the, the person that is oblivious, living for themselves, mocking others out of their pride and their own insecurity, those that, that don't have any depth to them, that don't have any faith to them. My thing got broken. I always have to, like, press these things to go. Uh, N.T. Wright encourages Christians to view the Psalms as representing a biblical worldview. He says what you look through, not just what you look at. That's a good way to think about it. I got to admit, yesterday I sat on my deck and I tried to drill a hole through a book. It didn't work out too well. Uh, But I was going to say, like, it's like, you know, having two eye holes through your Bible, just looking at the world through your Bible, right? Through the Word of God. Seeing everything through that. Praying and living the Psalms means to weave the Psalms into every, to the very heart of, of uh, our devotional life and to expect as we do that, that our outlook on life and our outlook on the world will change and little by little by little by little. Becoming more like Jesus, we see the world through his eyes. Saturation in the law of God. Saturation in the word of God as Psalm 1 prescribes for those that choose the way of the righteous. A biblical worldview. The only legitimate way leading to life, not leading to destruction. It's a choice. It's an intentionality about it. Meditating on the law of God is to go deeper in your experience of Him. To marinate, right? To be ushered into the Holy of Holies to experience the Shekinah glory of God. Shekinah meaning dwelling or one who dwells. And you stick glory with that, that, that word and, and you, 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 you get this word that means God causes glory to dwell among us. Amen to that. I want that. The presence of of God, think about this. Do you really believe it? The presence of God available at all times to those of us who house the Holy Spirit in this mortal frame. God in you. What the heck? That's crazy thought, right? I want that. I want more of that. See, usually when we say God came to dwell among us, that's Christmas verbiage. It's, it's Emmanuel, God with us, right? And, and Jesus came and he dwelt among us for a time and he died and he rose and he ascended and then he went away. And as a result, most of us just kind of struggle through life trying to avoid the little pitfall there until we die. But that's not a biblical worldview. That's not a biblical way of looking at the world, at our life. It says, the biblical worldview says that Jesus ushered in the first fruits of God's kingdom in truth and in power. And before his ascension, Jesus promised God the Holy Spirit to fill us. And he did. 
at the day of Pentecost, the advocate who leads and convicts and directs and brings us into greater things, the things that good, the, the good works that Jesus promised in Ephesians 2.10 that he prepared in advance for us to do as his people, as his children. He infused us with this purpose, this great, wonderful purpose to go and reach the nations of this good news with truth and in power. As that worship song says, this is like song sermon, right? I'm quoting a few different songs. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Because we don't operate on feelings. You never stop. You never stop working. Sang that one this week too. God is alive and moving. Whether you feel it or not, whether you see it or not. Seeing the world through the eyes of the word, word of God, we can be a part of that, choosing to actively walk with him in this present value of the blood of Christ. So what I'd like you to go home with today is simply this. The blessed, steadfast follower of God delights in God's word. Delights. Like that man I met yesterday. And by intentionally meditating on God's revealed truth, we grow closer with and more deeply connected to the Lord every single day. And that's not in some cold, dead, academic sort of way, but in having the heart of God in our chest. Where our vision with our vision focused through the lens of his glory and his love for the world around us and, and our purpose in bringing all that to the nations. What a great purpose. You're not just saving money until you retire. You're a participant in the work, the work of God. To begin to look for and to ask for his leading, participating with the Holy Spirit as to what God wants to do in all those people around us. And every single one of you is important in that. I don't care what age you are. My dad in his 80s, you guys as students, probably students, yeah. You guys as students, you're important in that. You are important. Even Moses. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I love Moses. (laughs) He can take a joke. Realizing that it's all for Jesus. That's our focus. It's all for Jesus. As we join in with all of creation, every tribe and tongue and nation, in glorifying his name. That's exciting to me. This first psalm sort of celebrates the blessed, right? The blessed, if you want to say it that way, because they meditate on the Torah, right? Prayerfully reading it and obeying it. And the Hebrew word Torah simply means teaching, but it also came to refer to the first five books of the Old Testament, Contained, which contains the foundational law of Judaism, right? So the word has both of these meanings in Psalm 1. So the book of Psalms is being offered as sort of a new Torah, a new teaching, right? For God's people about the lifelong practice of prayer and of connection to the Lord as they strive to obey God's commands in the first Torah. This blessed person of the Psalm, of Psalm chapter 1, doesn't take advice or walk in agreement with, and you can, you can say no to that stuff, right? Wicked people. 
He doesn't stand in sin or talk with people who only want to cause division by mocking truth. I recently had a conversation with somebody and they asked me to, to meet, talk about, talk out an issue. And it was a theological issue and they disagreed with me. And I got to the meeting and I said, you know what, I, I don't want to talk about that. The bottom line is I disagree with you and I'm, you're not going to change my mind. I love you, but we're splitting, splitting on this one. That's all I said. It was it. End of the conversation. I'm not going to sit there and try to be convinced about something that I know is false. You can be confident in your faith. Instead, the person that Psalm 1 is talking about is the person that delights in God's law. They meditate on God's truth day and night joyously unaware of all those other people. They're not even thinking about them because their focus is on Jesus. Like a tree that is planted and rooted in all it needs, the person of God grows mature, they bear fruit in time, and they may remain strong whatever the season brings. Don't you want that right now after going through a year and a half of all this craziness? Don't you want to be strong, rooted, feel placed in the world, with a purpose in the world, I want that. Because as a tree bears fruit, not only for itself, but also for others, when the faithful person prospers, they bring benefit to others, don't they? One song we sang at the conference, and Natalie and I think the guy made it up on the spot, and I'd be impressed if he did. He says, may your struggles keep you near the cross. May your troubles show that you need God. May your battles end the way they should. May your bad days prove that God is good. May your whole life prove that God is good. Oh, blah. Isn't that good stuff? Because being planted well and, and flourishing does not mean that we'll not experience the storm. That's never promised to us, right? But it does mean that the storm brings value and that we, it can be weathered in Christ to our benefit you will be better for the storm. So how do we grow rooted near the source and become mature in Jesus? Well, the psalmist paints the picture of a person who meditates on God's truth all the time. All the time. But what is meditation? Because when we say meditation, we think of foreign stuff, foreign practices, emptying your mind and being filled with whatever comes along, you know, that kind of stuff. Silly, or, or silly things like the office when Michael tried to uh, train everybody in, to meditate only, you know, to help Stanley stress only to find out that Stanley, Stanley was, uh, the, he was the source of Stanley's stress. You remember that one? That was a good one. But for the Christian, meditation intentionally dwelling on revealed truth and how it applies to our lives. It's not the emptying of myself. It's the exact opposite. It's the filling of myself with God's word. Interestingly, Watchman Nee, I think I have the book here. Watchman Nee was a pastor in China who, um, who was imprisoned for like 20 years. I thought I had it. Um, he was imprisoned for like 20 years for his faith, and he, I don't have it, but I wanted to show it to you because it's like this thin. It's like, if you want to, it's like, it's like, you know, potent, you know, it's like, it's like, what is that stuff that, the 
oils, essential oils. It's like boiling it down to its potency. That's what this little book is like. And uh, he, he wrote it, and I, re- I read it years ago, 30 years ago, and uh, it was the first sermon I ever preached, Sit, Walk, Stand. The first, I preached, my, my pastor came to visit me in art school, and, and I, he goes, what are you reading? I'm like, Sit, Walk, Stand, Watch Me Knee. He goes, you want to do three weeks on that? And I'm like, well, I've never preached a lo- thing in my life. He's like, I trust you. I'll help you through it. And I, <laughs> I preached three sermons on it. I couldn't believe it. But anyway, that's, that's what got me started. Um, so you can thank Watchman Nee. But he utilized these three concepts of sit, walk, stand in the book of Ephesians. If you read it, you'll hear those words come up. And as it turns out, these three passages are worthy of um, meditation, right? Sit, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. I'm going to turn off my thing because everybody's texting me. In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, which speaks deeply to our position in Christ, our assurance of Christ, to, to what he's done in us and, and for us. And drastic, it's drastically different than sitting in the company, company of mockers, right? Very different picture. Or walk, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And that speaks of the example that Jesus left us and, and what it means to live out the Christian life. How do we respond to people and live this stuff out? It means love and sacrifice. It doesn't mean power and control and beating people up and winning arguments or anything like that. It's very different than walking in step with sinners, isn't it? And then we have stand in Ephesians six thirteen through 15. Put on the full armor of God so that when, you, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, what does it say? You've been standing and battling and it's coming at you all the time. And what do you do? You sit down and you go, oh, oh that's hard. I've been, I've been standing for, against all this for so long. Oh, I'm so tired. Can I have a drink of water? Oh. And, then, and then you get up after you've rested. Is that what it says? No, it does not. It says after you've done everything, everything is poured out of you. Stand. Stand firm then. <laughs> right? Stand firm then. Still stand. Stand up. Right? With the belt buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes with the gospel of peace because you are not your own protection. It is not your strength that's going to win the battle at all. It is what Christ has done in you. It's what he's dressed you with that wins that battle. It speaks of our power. It speaks of our protection and our determination in Christ. It speaks to the courage of the Christian life. Christians are not cowards. We are courageous people in Christ. May your struggles keep you near the cross. May your troubles show that you need God. May your battles end the way they should. May your bad days prove that God is good. May your whole life prove that God is good. Sort of like Rudyard Kipling said in his 
famous poem, if, if you've never read the poem, you should read it. It's a good poem, especially all the men in the room, you should read it. It says, we have had the truth, you know, we, we've, we've experienced what he says. We've had the truth spoken, twist, we've spoken twisted by knaves and made a trap for fools. We've watched the things that we've given to our lives to broken. And now all we can do is stand and stoop down and build them back up with worn out tools. That's our choice. After a year and a half of craziness, that's our choice. And we can do all that through Christ who strengthened us and through the comfort of his word, Philippians 4.13. The biblical model of meditation has less to do with reaching some nirvana state. It's not like some weird thing, you know. It has much more to do with just listening and then doing. Listening and doing. Two Hebrew words sort of deeply inform and rich our understanding of meditative prayer, uh, and they are haga and siach, if I pronounce them correctly. And English Bibles always translate these two words as meditate, which is fine, but when you translate into languages, you miss some of the nuance some of the time. And these two Hebrew words convey a host of nuances. They, they, they talk about muttering, you know, muttering and moaning and whispering and ref to reflect on things deeply and to rehearse things. And to muse about things, to, to be absorbed in thought about them, and even to coo like a dove in Isaiah 59, 11, it says. So it's an active word. Often the emphasis of these words is, is on silent reflection upon God's work and nature out there. You know what Kim and I do when we backpack. Or on God's word. At other times, it involves sort of this audible murmuring. You've seen people praying, you know, and they're murmuring, right? Especially when the object of our meditation is the Torah, right? The law of God. Just reciting it and remembering it and thinking about it and letting it soak into us. The, but the biblical stress in meditation is always on ethical change. Character transformation. Obedience to the word of the Lord. It's always on that. Philosopher Ken Bryson of Nova Scotia, he observes, Old Testament meditation moves through silence to dwell on a spirituality of words, namely the precepts, statutes, words, and commandments of the Torah. So in the biblical witness, we have this dual nature of meditation, stillness and then action. Stillness and action, right? And this is why we should constantly seek to define Christian meditation in terms of hearing and obeying. Always that double emphasis. On one hand, we are called to silence, to stillness, to quiet ourselves before the Lord so that we can hear, so that we can silence all the other voices and be led by the Word of God. On the other hand, when we get up from that, we're called to action, to right behavior, to obedience to the will and the ways of God. We don't, we're not just sitting there in silence to become smarter. That's not the purpose. Always hearing, always obeying. Not just talking and theorizing kingdom, but actually doing the kingdom of God. Meditation is something we practice. Through meditation on God's word, we practice stillness, we practice listening, and we grow in our understanding and, and application of the word of God. Dallas Willard recounts his experience stumbling upon the benefit of spending time uh, dwelling on God's word and what started out as sort of a 
reading of the Gospel of John, you know, just a cursory reading while he, his laundry tumbled in the dryer on a holiday break became this deep pathway into developing spiritual disciplines in his life. He said this, he says, I did nothing for the rest of the day but live there in that world, reading, meditating, cross-referencing, rereading. There was a new thing at work in me. I had learned that intensity is crucial. Listen to this. I had learned that intensity is crucial for any progress in spiritual perception and understanding. Now my favorite part of the the quote says this, and I think it's up there. To dribble a few verses or chapters of Scripture on oneself throughout the week, in church or out, will not reorder one's mind or spirit. I said this last week, right? Just as one drop of water every five minutes will not get you a shower, no matter how long you stand there, like how long you keep it up, you need a lot of water at once and for a sufficiently long time, similar, similarly for the, the Word of God, right? So by setting real time apart for the, you know, from the hustle of life, we can reignite this passion and love for God and for others. It's in these times that our ears and our minds and our hearts are ready and willing to hear what God wants to teach us about Himself and about our purpose in Him. You know, babies are not born speaking, right? They're not born walking, or they're not born able to do much of anything themselves, really. And they grow and they learn by using their senses. But really, shows that a child only an hour old can distinguish their mother's voice from all others. And that cool, all the moms are like, oh, <laughs> that is cool. When we come to Christ, we are spiritual, aren't we? By, by watching and listening and spending focused time with God, we too learn how to recognize his voice and walk in his ways. So the blessed steadfast believer of God delights in God's word and by intentionally meditating on his revealed truth we grow closer with him and more deeply connected to him every single day of our life and that's my challenge so I want to do a little practice today you should have gotten a sheet if you don't have a sheet raise your hand and uh, somebody will give it to you Uh, but that sheet has printed Psalm Ibukun needs one you need one? Moses over here needs one? Well, you'll get it in just a second. So that sheet has Psalm 1, 1 through 3, and it also has these other passages from Ephesians and an additional passage from Ephesians about Christ being seated. Um, and I'd like you to take a few minutes and meditate on one of those. Choose one of those and meditate on it and read it, mull it over, Read it again, read it a third time, and, and, and begin your time with a prayer, right? Which goes something like what I've written at the top there. Just begin praying. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, right? Allow Him to speak to you about, about these verses, through these verses. Focus on only one. Use the others for the rest of the week, right? Don't rush. I'm going to give you like five minutes or so to do this. So it's, five minutes is a long time when you're meditating. Um, in, in church with a bunch of other people at least. And then when you feel that God is speaking, write what he's saying to you about these verses. What sticks out? You might be drawn to certain words or phrases. You might, uh, he may speak to you about an area of your life. He might, uh, 
you know, convict you of a place that you need to address. He may encourage you in some way. And if you're a brave soul, maybe you might want to share what you've heard a little later. All right? Share it with somebody else or come to me if so, you've heard something great and we'll share it from up here. So let me, let me pray. I, I'll, I'll actually pray that prayer for you and then take the time to, uh, to meditate on this. Holy Spirit, come. We do invite you right now. We come. Come, Holy Spirit. We want to meditate on your word. We want to mull it over. We want to hear what you have to say to us right now. We, each one of us has an individual connection and relationship with you. What would you say to each one of us specifically? What would you say to us together? Is there something you need to convict us on? Is there some way that we just need encouragement right now? or joy right now, or assurance right now, whatever it is, we love you, and we want to be led by you. So please, speak loudly to our hearts right now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.